Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and obviously Eric, it is a time of transition for us right now. Uh, this is the penultimate episode of the podcast. Showtime has now aired its last ever live boxing event. And of course, as listeners will remember, my very best buddy, Alfred T. Cat, passed away a couple of months ago. But as we will discuss very shortly, we are hopeful that the podcast will be rising like a phoenix from the ashes. And I am very pleased to report that the Mulvaney household has been joined by two itty bitty calico kittens, uh, their sisters. They're just two months old. Their names are yet to be determined. And as is often the case, Sure, it's been the case with even companion animals. They were the ones who decided that they would be moving in here. Um, <laughs> Sarah Jean and I went to the local humane society type shelter. And after we had each mentally adopted about eight cats, <laughs> this tiny little paw poked out of a cage and grabbed Sarah Jean's finger. And well, that was it. That was mm. all she wrote. It was a destiny thereafter. And I, I got to say, it's fun to have two tiny, just tiny little things tumbling around the house although i'm not looking forward to uh seeing what happens after i put the christmas tree up later today <laughs> yeah um well I, on that front i am happy to report that uh, otis dumbledore raskin did not get into any <laughs> trouble playing with the lit hanukkah menorah this season that that could have Oof. been quite an ugly yes. scene. <laughs> um, but uh congratulations to you and sarah jean on the new additions very exciting um, as a now two-time dog owner, I, I know it can be tough to get a new pet when one dies, but after a little time passes, it it becomes the the best possible thing to do. Um, so so the cats need names, huh? Uh, may, yes. May I make some suggestions? Um, I fear that you're going to anyway. So <laughs> so please do. Right. You can't stop me. I've got a microphone. I'm right. talking into it, whether you like right. it or not. So okay. here's what I'm thinking. Um, well, you know. Thunder and Popo are already taken or, or, or were taken. Rest in peace to uh, Big Dan's cats. Um, here's an idea. Um, pay tribute to former podcast guest Erickson Lubin. You could name them Jack and Sledge as he named his fists. Just an option. Uh, I got more. Um, maybe a tribute to the wonderful Russell family. You could name them both Gary. Mm-hmm. Of course, they are female cats. Perhaps they are I should females, suggest but, some, we some more... be, but we don't want to be too binary here. Um, That's true. Um... Good point. Nevertheless, I I do have a few feminine names in mind. Um, Christy and Layla, maybe, would be nice. I actually thought about Christy and Layla, I'll be honest. I'm not sure I get that past Sarah Jean, but I had thought about that. Okay, so that's that. Or, you know, if you wanted to go a little more modern, Katie and Amanda would be another Mm -hmm. uh, another way to go there. Or last idea that I'll toss out, HBO and Showtime. (laughs) Although, Although ESPN heavy hitting will then need to be adopted as well. Yes, the problem is I want them to live longer than five years. (laughs) <laughs> You're right. Good point. Good point. Uh, so, okay. But never mind those ones. By the way, though, since I brought it up, do you still host the uh, the ESPN Heavy Hitting Boxing Podcast? I feel like I haven't heard I it in a while. Listen to it for a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's been it's actually been probably about the duration of us doing the Showtime podcast that the inquiries about the ESPN podcast have dried up finally. Ah, okay. I feel like it was pretty much constantly while we were doing the HBO podcast that at least once a week or by the end, maybe just once a month, someone was like, right. hey, man, I haven't heard you on the ESPN podcast lately. Right. Well, this in a, in a way, it's good that our the ends of the HBO podcast and the Showtime podcast coincide with those networks getting out of boxing so that anyone who knows anything about boxing right. kind of knows better than to ask like six months from right. now. Hey, what, what happened to the Showtime podcast? Don't, I don't think we're going to run into too much of that. Yep, I'm sure ESPN will get around to having another boxing podcast anytime soon. <laughs> who knows? But who uh, knows? not with you, probably. Definitely. Uh, probably not. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, speaking of uh, all these various podcast iterations, um, before we get into the meat of this podcast, uh, we have an announcement to make about the podcast moving forward. It's not the announcement that we want to make uh, and hope to make sometime in the first couple of months of 2024, but it's an announcement. We are not going dark to start 2024 while we wait to secure the podcast's long-term home. We are taking it to Substack. Uh, the address is boxingwithraskinmulvaney.substack.com. And there you'll find the homepage for our, to use a common boxing term, interim podcast, which we have appropriately titled the Interim Champion Boxing Podcast with Raskin and Mulvaney. So go to that site. Again, boxingwithraskinmulvaney.substack.com. No and in there, just boxingwithraskinmulvaney.substack.com. Go there ASAP and get on our mailing list. It's totally free. Just enter your email address and subscribe to our Substack. Free to sign up, free to keep informed on what we're up to. And some of the content will be free, uh, but not all of it will. Uh, many of you have reached out in the last couple of months and said you'd gladly pay a monthly fee to keep the pod going. So that option is coming. Some of the content, some episodes or portions of episodes of the pod will be behind the paywall. Hopefully this is all very temporary. Just, um, oh, I don't know, about a two-month excursion maybe. Uh, so uh, don't, uh, don't bother with the annual payment option. It's just month to month uh, and for you uh, rich MFers out there who want to contribute an excessive amount of your choosing to help us keep the lights on, you will have that option as well. But you don't need to think about that part yet. That's a January thing for now. In December, if you're a fan of us and our podcast, all you got to do is get on the mailing list. Yeah, so it's almost certainly not going to be quite the same as the Showtime podcast or indeed whatever follows the interim champion podcast uh we are planning to sort of experiment a little have a little bit of fun with it yeah. um we're not expecting to make a ton of money so we, we we're just going to enjoy ourselves and it's a good opportunity for us to try some things out um the episodes won't necessarily be weekly on monday mornings as they are now uh they may not be an hour and a half long each time what's probably going to happen is we might have like a couple of quick episodes uh some weeks uh there may also be some written content on that substack if we can remember how to write about boxing um we're still figuring all of this out um it may appear on the old feed in your podcast app it may not we're trying to work that out um a lot of final details will be ironed out in the first few days of the new year so to reiterate what eric said just submit your email address so you can stay in the loop that's all you have to do um because pretty soon we won't have this showtime podcast as a method of delivering information to you so yeah. uh, go ahead give us your email address and we will sell them to content farms in china and make <laughs> lots of money no we won't karen no we, we won't not. do that we will we do won't. anything but that says. we will yes. not do that right. yes yes absolutely okay. not to do that at all right no worries about that at all, so please <laughs> do. <laughs> all right with all of that business out of the way on with the actual existing podcast, uh, where this week we will preview the deep card out of Saudi Arabia, headlined by Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder in separate bouts. We will cover the outside the ring news. Eric will test me with a round of the fight game. Uh, also, we'll have our final top five countdown on this podcast. Eric will rank the all-time top five boxers ever to fight on Showtime. Uh, and speaking of finales, let's go to Minneapolis, where Showtime Boxing aired its final live fight card, and David Morrell kept it from being too late at night by blowing out Senator Agbeko, stopping him on his feet in the second round. The potential lateness of the night was actually limited a few days earlier when Julio Cesar Martinez's visa issues caused his fight against Angelino Cordova to be scrapped, changing this from a televised quadruple header to a triple header, 
But then Morell took it from there, running his record to 10-0 with nine KOs by earning the TKO just one minute and 43 seconds into round two. The long southpaw Morell was generally in control in the first round and the first half of the second. And then the finish came suddenly as he hurt Agbeko in the corner with a series of power punches. Basically had him out on his feet with the ropes holding him up and referee Mark Nelson jumped in. Agbeko's record drops to 28-3. and He's still never been knocked down for what that's worth. Uh, Kieran, we were both correct in our prediction that this would go longer than Morel's <laughs> fight against Yamaguchi Falcao, but only barely. Uh, give me your thoughts on Morel's performance, whether we learned anything here, and also take a step back. Uh, does this feel to you like a fitting way for Showtime Boxing to go out? Yeah, let me take that last part first. Um, yes, for me, is the answer to that. And, and for the reason that I outlined last week, Looking ahead to it, Morel is well, not necessarily the future of boxing, a part of the future of boxing in the in the near term, um, potentially a significant part of it, and and he's come to attention almost exclusively on Showtime over the last couple of years. The fact that he dispensed with Akbeko so comprehensively and swiftly was important, I think, in terms of the feel good factor for what it meant for Showtime's exit. If it had been a a dull, you know, twelve rounder that had just excited nobody, it would have felt differently. But the fact that he ended the fight the way he did, that he performed to expectations, I think, helped immensely. And um, as for the fight itself, and Amaral looked, first of all, he looked absurdly relaxed in there. I, I, For a start, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody just kind of like with his elbows up on the ropes in the corner, legs kind of crossed at the ankles, waiting for the opening bell to sound. I don't know if you saw that. Um and it's just very rare to see a fighter so utterly chill and yet so concussively deadly at the same time. He was very relaxed in there and completely unbothered, I thought, by anything Agbeko had to offer. Uh, I thought when he had to, he showed some good defense, uh, better than sometimes we've seen from him to slip out of the way of his punches. But look, Agbeko is relatively slow and didn't have much to trouble him with, but you know, to, to follow up from the point that you made, he's always been sturdy and solid. And the fact that Morel just blew him away like that, I think is extraordinarily impressive. What a puncher that man is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to be one of the fiercest punchers in the sport right now, surely. Um, but I think this shows that he is now clearly far above this kind of level of opposition. He, he's on a completely different level entirely. He said afterwards that he wants Benavides. I would love to see Benavidez Morel. But I also would like to see Morel be taking some tough rounds before that, if it's possible mm. to find somebody who can give him some tough rounds, because he's certainly going to have to endure them against Benavidez. I'm not entirely sure, though, who is the person to do that. Um, were he not otherwise occupied, I'd say John Ryder, mm. um, maybe someone of like a Carlos Gongara or Ali Akbedov kind of level of fighters in the meantime before he goes straight into Benavidez. But I will say I am excited to see where Morel goes and what his ceiling is. And I just, as we've discussed before, um, you know, with Bob Santos, he's a lovely guy as well by by all appearances. But let me let me switch that back to you. How would how do you feel about Morel KO two Agbeko going into the history books as the final Showtime fight? And where do you think Morel fits in this 168 pound division? Um, we've been talking lately about Canelo and Benavidez being on a collision course, of course, and he wants to upset that. Yeah. Uh, I'll I, like you. I'll, I'll take that that first question, the sort of end of Showtime question first. Um, certainly, this as a final fight for Showtime, it's better than the way HBO went out. I think we can safely say that. Um, 
I'd love to construct some sort of creative narrative, some parallel of how Morel KO2 represents something. Um, you know, I, I sort of pulled that off with uh, with Steven Espinoza referencing Fury Wilder, and I, I managed to relate that to PBC getting off the deck or what have you. I'm not quite sure I can pull it off here. Uh, we did get to see a tremendously talented boxer with a bright future put an exclamation point on Showtime Boxing. And so maybe kind of remind us in the process that the sport still has a future. Boxing will be fine post-Showtime. That's about the best I can do. It, it wasn't the dream ending to 37 years. We didn't finish with a great fight. We did finish with possibly a great fighter. So one for two there. Not the perfect ending. Not a bad one either. And that's actually kind of how I felt about um, referee Mark Nelson saying during final instructions, this is the end of Showtime Championship Boxing. Please end it with class. I'm sort of torn on how to feel about him doing that. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I appreciate the sentiment. I'm not sure if it's a referee's place to say something like that there, but I guess it's fine. End it with class is a worthwhile directive to hopefully <sighs> prevent a particularly unclassy ending. Um so the main question, though, David Morrell, where does he fit in at 168? I tweeted that I'd love to see a triple threat match with him, Canelo and Benavidez. Um, <laughs> I, I really think any one of that trio could potentially beat any other one of that trio. I know based on accomplishment, they clearly rank Canelo, Benavidez, right. Morrell. But in terms of ability right now, I don't know. Maybe Canelo beats them both. Maybe Canelo loses to both of them. Maybe Morel would emerge as the best of the bunch if they all fought each other. I really am that impressed with David Morel uh, that I that I don't have any trouble at all envisioning him defeating either one of these elite fighters. Like Benavidez, he's a spectacular offensive fighter who also has real skills. I love how quick and clever he is with his lead hand. He can throw it as either a right jab or a right hook and disguise which it is that's about to come at you. That's a huge weapon for a southpaw to have. I suspect he's a, a bigger one-punch puncher than Benavidez is, from what I can tell. I don't know. We haven't seen him tested, obviously. But just on the eye test, he fits right in with Canelo and Benavidez. But I assume he's on the outside looking in until the two of them fight each other, whether that's in May or more likely from what we're hearing September. So unfortunately, I suspect Morel treads water for another year and then maybe gets his shot in 2025. But as you said, he needs some rounds. So so, so maybe that's fine. He's only 25. He only has 10 pro fights. There is no rush yet with him. Um, as long as we're, we're hitting a, a bit of Showtime finale, big picture stuff there. Before we discuss the two undercard fights, I'm curious for your quick thoughts on the various packages and montages and tributes we saw. There was an opening package by Mo Ranallo that included some of the most iconic fights and fighters, a retrospective video with the various members of the Showtime on-air crew offering their views, uh, a longer version of which is apparently going to be available online. Uh, there was a Showbox feature narrated by Steve Farhood. And at the end, the black and white photo montage of everyone behind the scenes, including a few friends of ours. Uh, did any of these particularly grab you, Kieran? Oh, the photo montage, no question. Yeah. I, I, I suspect, like me, you were making all kinds of aw noises when our besties <laughs> showed up. Um, right. Uh, folks like, you know, who some of the listeners won't know, folks like Mitch Abr Abramson, Flo Joku, Chris de Blasio, Matt Ryle, Nima Ghazi, and of course, our boss, Brian Daly. Yeah. And the great Gordon Hall, who I, I really think might be more beloved than any broadcast executive has ever been loved by his <laughs> colleagues. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And it absolutely brought a hint of a tear to my eye watching that. How about you? 
Yeah, you know, same thing jumped out at me that and, and I assume this won't be the case for most viewers uh, who, who don't right. know those people. But yeah, that photo collage hit home for me. You mentioned all, all those people who, who jumped out that we know and that we work with. But also it made me realize how many people were part of this team that I never met. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's not just that it's a family, as all of our guests the last couple of months have said. It's a big family. It took a lot of people to make Showtime Boxing what it was. So that really hit home, seeing not only our friends and colleagues, but also just how many people were involved that we never crossed paths with. But all the packages were good. I thought Steve really nailed the Showbox tribute. Um, I liked I liked the opening one from Mo. Uh, and upset alert on that, after it was over, Mo didn't quote some hip-hop song I was unfamiliar with like he usually does. He quoted Bob Seger. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, Bob Seger, who uh, Al Bernstein on an old episode of Ring Theory at least 10 years ago claimed was better than Bruce Springsteen, deeply offending both me and Detloff. Um, Al is not a Bruce guy, but but I digress. Um, good work there from Mo. Good packages overall. Celebrating Showtime boxing without becoming overindulgent, I thought. Yeah, agreed very much. Um, getting back to the live fights, uh, the co-feature. After a close, hotly disputed first fight nine months ago, lightweights Jose Valenzuela and Chris Colbert renewed acquaintances. And this time it wasn't close at all. To my great disappointment, uh, I specifically needed a Valenzuela split decision to win our picks competition and a Valenzuela decision that wasn't split to finish the year in a tie. Instead, Valenzuela hurt Colbert badly early in the first round, scoring a knockdown. Colbert made it out of the round. And he had moments over the next couple of rounds of seeming like he might be boxing his way back into it. But he just couldn't keep Valenzuela off of him. And in round six, one right hook from the southpaw Valenzuela ended things, dropping Colbert face first along the ropes. Uh, Valenzuela ended what was officially, at least, a two-fight losing streak. And he's now 13-2 and two with nine KOs. Well, Colbert lost for the second time in three fights. And it probably should be three losses in a row. He is now 17-2 and two with six KOs. Eric, it seems incredible to ask this question, but... Is Colbert done as a relevant boxer just like that at age 27? Is Valenzuela just 24 going places? And by far the most important question that I need to put to you and the one that I feel you should address Hmm. with some depth is how does it feel to win our picks competition by one solitary point by being so wildly, utterly, comprehensively, (laughs) nay, embarrassingly wrong about this matchup? It feels great, Kieran. <laughs> Pride, schmide. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Uh, no, but seriously, that was a rather pathetic way to win. I truly backed into a victory here. But, um, you know, over the course of a full year, there's a lot of luck and it tends to even out. I had some great picks that didn't translate to many points. I had lousy picks like this one that didn't cost me much. It's all part of the game. I will gladly accept my victory and whatever related concessions you'd like to make about my proven superiority. Um, anyway, let me let me let me address. Uh, waiting for me to make some concessions about your superiority? You you'll can... be pausing for a long time. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what it was four four out of five years? I think, Kieran. I don't know. It's kind of a, a large sample size. Yeah, it's not that large. <laughs> That's what she said. Anyway, <laughs> had to get into that's what she said before yes, uh, before we get to the end exactly. of the podcast. I'm um, going to do virus. <laughs> right. Good point. Like catchphrase yes. for the end. Yes. yes. But anyway, do carry on. So uh, let me address Colbert before Valenzuela. Man, what happened to Chris Colbert? I, I can't recall too many fighters who had a drop off like this. He went from hot prospect that pretty much everyone believed in to possibly 
completely and totally done in a span of three fights. You know, just before he got knocked out, the commentators were discussing the question of maybe Colbert just shouldn't be at 135. He needs to get back down to 130. And I was thinking the same thing all fight. If he's to have any kind of future, I think it's back down a weight class. He just doesn't seem to have enough pop at lightweight to compete. Although my guess is he's basically done at 130 also. Uh, but but at least that door is open a crack. You know, there's maybe a chance that turns things back around if he drops back down in weight. But yeah, him saying afterward to Valenzuela, hey, it's one and one now. Let's run it back. No, no. Stay the hell away from Valenzuela. You're not beating this guy. Uh, Valenzuela correctly stated, I don't think the fans want to see that. And meanwhile, Valenzuela was calling out Tank Davis, which is probably a reach, but I guess that fight could be described as fun for however long it lasts. Um, Valenzuela may have a puncher's chance in there, uh, but I'd rather see him build slowly off this than jump up to Tank Davis. Um, You know, he's only 24, fights some more fringe contenders. I do think he's going places. I think he has a bright future. Of his two losses, one was against Colbert and should have been a win, and the other... Hey, he lost a thrilling three-round shootout against Edwin De Los Santos. I'm willing to overlook it. Valenzuela knows how to cut off the ring. He applies pressure without getting careless. He has heavy hands. He's a southpaw who throws punches from all different angles. Um, and, and good for him for not letting the judges have a say this time. He really took care of business. Great win for him. I don't know if he's a future champ, but he's at least ready to face more fellow contenders and find out. Here's a good one. I, I'll just throw this out there for the PBC matchmakers to consider. Jose Valenzuela versus Frank Martin. I think that'd be oh, good. Yeah. Valenzuela is the underdog there, but I'd be very interested to see that one. Yeah, I like you. Look, I'm with you on Colbert. Uh, he, we're always at pains to point out that a loss doesn't define a fighter. Um, two losses and three fights doesn't necessarily define a fighter. Arturo Gatti famously had three sure. losses in a row and HBO kept bringing him back. It, it happens. But what you look for is how the boxer looks during those losses and he's looked progressively worse yeah i think in each of them and honestly there were points in that fight where i to my surprise was noting that my god colbert looks shot yeah it's not just that he looks like he was struggling with the size of valenzuela and i agree with you and i agree with what the guy said and i made the note myself that if he is to to continue and, and sort of resurrect his career here it's going to have to be at 130 he just doesn't have the power or the or the punch resistance at 135 but just the way he was reacting to punches the fact that he he his advantages always were in footwork and speed and angles and stuff like that he was being outdone by valenzuela in in a lot of those not necessarily hand speed he still had the hand speed advantage but footwork angles ring generalship he was losing all of that to valenzuela i thought and it just didn't look good when valenzuela turned it up and 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 of course that was a a, a pretty brutal knockout he was out like you could see when he was sitting on the campus he was in trouble still it yeah. took him a long time to, uh, to get back and i'm glad that he was taken straight straight to the hospital um yeah his career is suddenly at a real crossroads it's it's you know i also wonder a little bit and maybe i'm overthinking this a little bit but we talked before about how and he admitted to be honest how he acquiesced in his loss to hector garcia and I just wonder if it was that, even more even than the simple fact of losing, that helped set him on this path. Mm. Boxers have to tell themselves all kinds of lies 
to get themselves in the ring and to keep themselves in the ring. They have to convince themselves they're not scared. They have to convince themselves that they're not hurt. They have to convince themselves they have a second and third and fourth wind. But once you like kind of acknowledge that, ah, shoot, I'm getting beaten up and it's just the way it is here. I, I just wonder if there's some kind of mental Rubicon that gets crossed there. Mm. And then it's harder to avoid defeat again. You know, once you've sort of made that excuse for yourself, maybe I'm reading too much into it. And maybe it's just simply a case that, as we were talking about last week, for a guy with very few fights, Chris Colbert has had a lot of rounds because he just doesn't have any power. And and maybe things have just mounted up more rapidly than we thought. But boy, out of absolutely nowhere, not only is his career at a crossroads, but honestly, I fear for him a little bit if he keeps going and doesn't find some way to to halt this slide and gosh what a cruel sport this is what a reminder of what a cruel sport this is and you can understand why boxers sometimes are a little cautious and want to maximize their earning potential before taking risk because boy oh boy it can turn around in a heartbeat yeah we guys like you and me we are on we are on the safe side of things uh and it's, it's the fighters who are taking all the risks and and often paying the price and uh Chris Colbert. Yeah, I think that I think that's a, a good observation that what we saw in that loss to to Garcia probably did set him on the path doesn't necessarily account for the physical decline we seem to be witnessing. Sure. But I think it's some kind of combination of physical and mental of just like, he got to a certain point, and then just the fall has been precipitous. Um, mm. I'm inclined not to spend too much time on the opening bout. Uh, <laughs> 40 year olds Robert Guerrero and Andre Berto rematched 11 years after their first fight. Guerrero won a wide unanimous decision then over 12 rounds. He won a wide unanimous decision now over 10 rounds. Scores were 99-91 and 98-92 twice. I also had it 98-92. Kieran, your thoughts on on how these two looked and whether this was any better or worse than you expected? You know, to my surprise, I didn't absolutely hate it. Um, I didn't like the fact that I think partly because their reflexes are so much slower now, they kept whacking each other in the back of the head. Mm. Um, I will say I'm biased, obviously, because he's my friend, but I thought Robert Hoyle did a very good job of refereeing this fight. Like he was refereeing it as a fight between two 40 year old veterans who deserved the credit for knowing how to go about their business in there. And, and, and I like the way he was talking to them and pleading with them to sort it out between themselves and, and not make him take a point or do anything like that. They seemed to enjoy being in there, both of them. Um, I actually thought it made for a nice bookend in the end to the final broadcast. You know, Morel is the the future. These Mm. guys are part of the past. It was fine. I do hope that they remain part of the past. Guerrero, perhaps, with the adrenaline flowing and the excitement (laughs) of the win, was all on about, oh, man, I'm going to keep it going. Maybe I can fight for a world title. He's a welterweight. It's a division that includes the likes of Terence Crawford and Boots Ennis before you start going down. That won't end well, and it won't happen. If he wants to pop up occasionally for fights against his contemporaries up to a point, sure. But this would be like a great triumphant note to say, wow, I still got it at 40 years old and uh, and go do something else. But if it stays like that, yeah, I was fine with it in the end. I, I, I didn't like the idea of it at all, but it was I. You know, you managed to do what I had aspired to do, but 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 was then unable. You uh, attached some sort of poetic meaning to to this card that, that's a good observation <laughs> we started with the past and we finished with the future i i, I that's uh that's a, that's a good way to look at this card Th- this fight 
kind of fell into that gray area between a real fight and an exhibition. There, there yeah. was a lot of touching gloves. There was the big hug at the end. It really felt like an exhibition at times, like, you know, Barrera Hatton or, or what have you, um, but, but not quite all the way there. Like both of these fighters were a tad soft around the middle, but not quite in that they really should be wearing shirts while they box portion of their lives. Um, the fight was, you know, not embarrassing, but not a great advertisement either for 40 year olds to fight. Right. Uh, I agree with what you said about Robert Hoyle. It got awfully chippy at times. Uh, he had his hands full and he did a pretty good job with it. Um, and I had the same note as you about uh, Guerrero wanting a title fight. Uh, I mean, we said beforehand, you know, a 40 year old guy fighting a fellow faded 40 year old guy. Okay. If you're going to fight, we can kind of live with that. Uh, but yeah, I, thinking of like, he doesn't need to find out what Boots Ennis's punches feel like. Yeah. So this, this is a good winning note for him to go out on, and I hope he'll see it that way. Uh, while the final Showtime card had our primary attention on Saturday night, probably the best major fight of the weekend was taking place in Glendale, Arizona, with the top spot in the flyweight division on the line, and Jesse Bam Rodriguez proved too much for Sonny Edwards. It was competitive for a while. Uh, Bam was landing all the damaging shots, but Edwards was hanging in and scrapping back until just before the bell to end round nine, Rodriguez drilled him with a southpaw left hand to the chin. Sonny went down, and even though he got up, he was in rough shape, and his corner wisely stopped the fight between rounds. Bam Rodriguez is now 19-0, 12 KOs. Edwards takes his first loss. He's now 20-1, and just four KOs. Bam had previously beaten Carlos Quadras and Strisaket Soaring Visai, but Kieran, was this his best win? Uh, give me any thoughts you have on Rodriguez KO9 Edwards. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think we should gloss over those other two wins that you you mentioned, particularly the fact that with you know Quadras, he moved up in weight at late notice uh, to take on Quadras, and then went out and stopped Soaring Visai. That was a pretty damn significant wins, but this was an unbeaten fellow titleist in his prime, and by the end, he pretty much beat him up. Um, it was the most entertaining Sonny Edwards fight I've ever seen, too. And yeah. perhaps the fact that it is his first defeat means that it's perhaps the last entertaining Sonny Edwards fight we'll ever see, mm -hmm. too. I, I'm not entirely sure exactly why Edwards chose to, to fight that way rather than his, his, his usual way. Although I suspect maybe it was because Bam made him. Um, I think maybe Bam's positioning and, and, and movement was subtly preventing Edwards from, from sliding away and being a stinker the way he, he so often can be. And But to Edwards' credit, I think once he realized that, oh, I'm going to have to fight, he, he, he fought and he, and he did absolutely what he could. Um, you know, I, I think a little like, like Colbert, Edwards' lack of power ultimately bit him in the ass once yeah. Rodriguez reared realized he couldn't hurt him he was there was nothing stopping him once he realized he not only couldn't hurt him but was standing there and fighting him he, he must have not been able to be believe his good fortune but yeah full credit to edwards for realizing he had to make a fight of it and doing his best to, to do it also full credit to the corner team pulling him out when he did when they realized that he was taking ever greater punishment and that he didn't have the tools to turn it around all too often you see corners a little bit too brave and like all you gotta do is go out there and just just put hurt on him in three rounds and, and don't think about the fact that the guys had four ko's in eight in 19 fights and he's obviously not going to do that this seemed like a corner that knew their fighter and cared about their fighter yeah. and, and and i quite liked that but i thought it was a very very impressive performance by bam rodriguez yeah 
Um, to kick off the weekend on Friday night from Orlando on the zone, uh, Jake Paul took on a pro boxer uh, for the second time. I put pro boxer in air quotes after seeing the fight. Um, <laughs> and he evened up his record to one and one against them, eight and one overall, with a one punch first round knockout of Andre August, who is now 10, two and one. On the undercard, Franchon Cruz de Zern was listed as nearly a 5-1 to one underdog against Judicia, the sweet Terminator Green, but won a 10-round unanimous decision to claim a super middleweight belt. An undefeated Cuban 154-pounder, Ioannis Tellez, scored a sensational left-hook knockout of Liban Navarro in the 10th round. Eric, you said because this is a Friday card, not on pay-per-view, not up against any other boxing, you figured you might watch it live. Did you indeed do that? And what are your thoughts on Jake Paul's win or on where his boxing career stands? Yes, I, I watched it live, mostly. Um, my my whole family was out of town on Friday night. So uh, my dream scenario in life, get in bed around 8 p.m., TV <laughs> on, volume not an issue, just me and Otis. I'm playing yeah. some poker on my phone, half watching the undercard fights. I saw the spectacular knockout by Tejas, who's who's really someone to watch. I remember he knocked out Sergio Garcia in three rounds on the Crawford Spence undercard. This was one hell of a left hook. This was the knockout of the night over Paul August by a clear margin, if you ask me. Um, so I saw that, but then I fell asleep as Cruz Desern and Green were making their ring walks, took like a 45-minute power nap, just woke up to hear the decision and to see Cruz Desern's wonderfully emotional post-fight interview. So I haven't seen that fight. Don't have any opinion on it. But I did watch Paul versus August live. That's that's where this whole long recap of my night was headed. Um, and I mean, you certainly can't criticize Jake Paul's performance one bit. Um, he is a real professional boxer at this point and, and a decent one. Uh, there's certainly no evidence that he's a world-class boxer that he would last 60 seconds in a title fight even but for now for where he is and how long he's been doing it he deserves a lot of praise um it took him two and a half minutes against august boom over um but um much of the talk after the fight from the commentators was them revealing that august seemed scared shitless in the dressing room that he was beaten before it started etc and, and that lines up with what i saw he appeared very tense the uppercut that knocked him out it didn't land flush. It landed on the cheek. So either Jake Paul is that heavy handed that he can ice you without landing flush or August doesn't have much in the way of punch resistance, especially when he's mentally beaten already. It could be a bit of both, of course. Um, but yeah, I'd very much like to see Jake Paul continue along this path, you know, fight steadily better and better real boxers, not on pay-per-view and see how far he can keep stepping up before he hits his ceiling. If he wants to sprinkle in bigger money fights against MMA guys on pay-per-view, fine. I won't be paying for them, but, you know, he can do that. That's fine. But, you know, let's say Andre August was a C-minus professional boxer. Next, take on a C. If you win that, take on a C+. Jake Paul is one of the biggest names and draws in boxing. He's taking the sport very seriously. Good for him. I have to say, I remain interested in charting his progress. Yeah, I made the same note that uh, the KO looked a little bit off to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, and it was also a very reaching kind of uppercut. I don't think it's easy for me to say, but I was surprised at the effect that it had. Yeah. Um, look, maybe August is just a terrible boxer. But um, yeah, I, and again, I made the same notes. For someone with no amateur experience who's taken up the sport quite late, he really isn't bad. Um, as a pro boxer with no caveats like that, well, you know, he's not that great. But right. um, 
But for a guy, if we look at him as a guy who is starting his career and starting from absolutely nowhere, forget the fact that he's Jake Paul, forget about the, the, the noise that, is, that goes with him. Now, I think if he were a guy who, like, he wouldn't be on Showbox, he's, he's not good enough. But were he somebody who showed up on Showbox and we were analyzing him, not knowing who he was, not knowing any of that other stuff, we might go, he's not great. But he's not bad, especially right. for someone who's just starting out in the sport. I wouldn't mind seeing him against X, X, and X. And so that's fine. And he's using his cards to showcase uh, other boxers, and particular female boxers, um, who are worthy of attention and may not be otherwise getting getting that attention. I do think that ultimately his greater impact on the sport is going to be as a manager and or and slash or promoter um, than than as a boxer, but. You know, yeah, good luck to him. And I think the important thing is, as you said, he's taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, th there have been plenty of other folks from outside boxing who thought they were going to make a splash and realize that it's incredibly hard and off they go. And yes, is he incredibly selective with his matchmaking? Yes, but he has the power to do that. And if he's using it to gradually get better and, and highlight other boxes in the process, so be it. All right, Kieran, well, speaking of taking things seriously... <laughs> the penultimate episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. This is the penultimate fight game on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Are you taking it seriously? Are you ready to play? As ready as I ever am, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, for my final fight game to you in the Showtime iteration of our podcast, I have to do a Showtime fight. This particular fight was a unification of two alphabet belts, one apiece, title holder versus title holder, both undefeated, one of them coming in at 21 and 0 with 17 KOs, and the other at 40 and 0 with 31 KOs. It's quite the disparate record there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going to say Felix Trinidad, but I'm not sure, other than Oscar, who he fought in unifications. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, other than that, it's 1986 or later. You haven't yet given me a hint <laughs> of an era. That's true. But you, but you correctly deduced it's 1986 or later. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, <laughs> and you correctly deduced it's not Felix Trinidad, but he's not giving me that yet. No, I'm not giving um, you uh, whether you're right or wrong about uh, mentioning Felix Trinidad. Um, I, yeah, I'm blanking even on. A unification, really. Was was Canelo plan a unification? Did Plant have a title going into that? He may have. Is that your guess? I can't even remember if that... <laughs> yeah, sure. What the hell? I, I mean, uh, well, they, not. they wouldn't have been undefeated, or, or at least uh, Canelo wasn't oh, that's undefeated. Right. That's, but, of course not, no. Yeah, so that is not the answer. Um, but uh, let's, let's count that as your first guess and move on to clue yeah. two. I think you're ready. Okay. It was the 40 and 0 fighter who prevailed in stunningly lopsided fashion by scores of 119-107 twice and 119-105, and it would have been a shutout had the referee not penalized the winner a point in the 11th round. A lot of, a lot of deep exhaling on this one. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, there you will start getting more specifics with the next clue. Although that's kind of typical, I suppose. But you probably figured something something more revealing in clue three was coming after clue two. But I'm almost tempted to say something like 
Like Deontay Wilder has far more fights than one would expect. Mm. He's only gone the distance once. Did he? Did Berman? Did Berman Stavern have a title when they fought? But he probably wasn't unbeat. Was it the first Wilder Stavern fight? You know, that's a pretty good guess. That kind of probably comes pretty close to fitting this. It's not the answer, but. They may have both been undefeated. Their records probably looked something like this, and it was a very lopsided decision. Uh, I don't know if he wasn't it. No, no, it's not the right answer. But that's that's a pretty good guess that that I think is. uh, There's not a lot in the clues I've given you that makes that makes it clear that that's wrong. Um, I'll I'll put it that way. So kudos to you for a fine, incorrect guess. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. Clue three. Uh, This clue will either prove too obscure to help, or it may totally give the answer away, or it may prove half obscure while giving you half of the answer. Here it is. In his previous fight, the loser had knocked out Scott Pemberton. In his previous fight, the winner had outpointed Evans Ashira. Oh, Joe Calzaghe and Jeff Lacey? You got it. All right. I wasn't sure if, uh, like, if I was thinking... For me personally, the name Evans Ashira would have reminded me of nothing, but I thought there was a chance it would have made Scott you. Pemberton made me th- that. Oh, it was more the Pemberton was... side. Okay. Because yeah, it got the weights more than anything. And right. uh, yeah, I kind of figured it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I you got it. You got it. had a title going into that. All right. Yes. He did indeed. Yes. Lacey was 21 and 0, 17 KOs coming in. Calzaghe, 40 and 0, 31 KOs. They both had a belt. And uh, I had forgotten that, that Calzaghe got penalized a point in the what, 11th round. Was that uh, four low blows or something? Um, it wasn't. Lo- that too. It said it in, in, in the little box rec description. I think it may have been like a holding and hitting or a hitting behind the yeah. head or one of those kind of things. Um, I can't remember exactly now, but um, well done. Yeah, that was the clue that I was I was thinking this. It may jump right at, out at you on clue three or or it may not help at all. But uh, indeed, uh, you got it there. Well done. You want to know the fourth and fifth clues? Yes, indeed. All right. Clue four. This fight at the MEN Arena in Manchester was the winner's 18th defense of his alphabet belt, and he would make three more before moving up to 175, while the loser, a former U.S. Olympian, was never the same, losing five of his remaining 11 fights, I think. Certainly I think would have that that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. That was a big giveaway. And clue five. The ultimate giveaway, even for the brain dead listener, uh, <laughs> the winner, no ordinary Joe, went on to Hall of Fame induction in 2014, while the loser, well, he went on to sue the company Racetrack for trademark infringement for their left hook energy drink. I didn't know that. Me neither. But uh, you can learn a lot of possibly true information on Wikipedia, Kieran. Wow, I didn't know that. That's a shame. <laughs> How did that go for him? Do we know? Uh, I don't know. It did, Wikipedia did not tell me whether he won or, or at well. least got some, maybe some kind of little settlement or something. Would have, would be, it'd be nice to think maybe they gave him a little something you to go away. You can't be a boxer who trademarks left hook. You can't. I mean, if that <laughs> is your nickname, you can't trademark that. <laughs> wow, the uh, the lawyers uh, for racetrack should have uh, should have brought you in <laughs> as a as some sort of uh, expert witness on this. But wow, anyway, yes, the final answer yeah. you got it correct in three clues: Joe Calzaghe, W twelve, Jeff Lacey, March fourth, two thousand six. Well done, Kieran. Yeah. All right, there we go. Phew, done with that. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, this week's main news item and this week's big fight card that we need to preview are very directly related. So let's mix news and previews together in one container this week. Let's uh, dip the chocolate in the peanut butter. Um, That sounds... (laughs) Sounds delicious, doesn't it? 
Um, two yeah, great tastes that taste great together. Come on, Kieran. I don't know. This podcast fun. brought to you by Reese's. Uh, hey, Reese's, if you guys want to uh, sponsor the interim champion boxing yes. podcast, let us right. know. Racetrack as well, by the way. <laughs> yes, that's true. All sponsors are welcome. Anyway, <laughs> yes, um, we have us a DAZN pay-per-view this coming Saturday from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, with two headlining heavyweight bouts, Anthony Joshua versus one-time podcast guest Otto Valine and Deontay Wilder versus one-time podcast guest Joseph Parker. Last Wednesday, Mike Coppinger of ESPN reported via anonymous sources that a deal is in place for Wilder versus Joshua March 9th in Riyadh if they both win. However, Dan Raphael of ESPN, uh, everyone worked for ESPN apparently. Um, yeah, no, including me. I have a podcast there. <laughs> That's yeah. true. You, you like Dan, are in fact formerly of ESPN, uh, but uh, don't tell Jake Paul that. Anyway, uh, Dan says that reporting is absolutely premature. A deal is being discussed, but it's far from done. So basically, I think we can safely say that there's at least a goal and intention to make Joshua Wilder if they both win. With that in mind, Kieran, I ask you, can Valine upset AJ? Can Parker upset Wilder? And does the fact that AJ Wilder represents enormous money make it that much harder to pick Valine or Parker, figuring the deck may be stacked against them? Yeah, I think both Valine and Parker can spring upsets here um, for slightly different reasons. Valine is not an exceptional talent by any means. He doesn't possess great speed or power. He doesn't have any particular stylistic strengths, but he is solid. He's technically proficient and he's got enough power and solid enough skills to be at least competitive with just about everybody. We've already seen that when he gave Tyson Fury quite the scare in, in 2019. And in Anthony Joshua, he's going up against someone who, as we have said repeatedly, still appears to be somewhat low on confidence, who's thinking an awful lot of in the ring, who doesn't seem to move with the same fluidity and confidence that he did once, who's adjusting from being a power first fighter to a jab first boxer, and who's using yet another different trainer for this fight. He's, he's, he's working with Ben Davison because he didn't want to go to Texas to work with Derek James for this. Um, Valine is strong and solid enough that Joshua is highly unlikely simply to be able to get rid of him. And the longer Valine is able to stick around and remain competitive and put pressure on Joshua, the more likely that AJ might start getting in his own head. Um, if this makes sense, that said, it's sort of easier for me to pick, and this may not make obvious sense at first, it's easier for me to picture Valine how he can avoid losing than it is for me to picture him outright winning, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean. Like, I, I see how he can limit Joshua's offense and frustrate him, but I think if he beats him, it's going to be more likely because he just makes Joshua beat himself. Um, the greater likelihood, even if this were on neutral territory, is I think that Joshua wins over the distance because like, he does have more tools. But I do think that a Valine victory, absent the other factors that you mentioned at the end of that, is entirely plausible scenario here. And similarly, I think that Parker has a chance against Wilder because he's a big, strong heavyweight who can box and most importantly has a very good jab. And here's the thing with Wilder technically, he sucks. He's <laughs> right. one of the technically least accomplished boxers ever to become a leading contender in the heavyweight division. He hits with a ferocity that few have ever come close to equaling, and that's why only Tyson Fury has avoided defeat against him. But he's never looked comfortable going backward. A solid jab to the chest can put him backward, and Parker's more than capable of doing that. Again, however, as with Valine, 
I could sort of, I, I have an easier time picturing Parker making it very difficult for Wilder. But I find it a bit harder to see him, to see Wilder not winning, because even when he's looked poor or been in trouble, he's always been able to produce that mammoth right hand and, and get himself out of it. But that said, if Parker can make it a tough fight, look, when was the last time Wilder was in an actual tough fight and won? Mm. Um, right. Maybe never, except maybe the second fight with Luis Ortiz, or, or actually either fight with Luis Ortiz. Right. One was kind of a brawl, and the other was when he was just oddly soporific for, what, six rounds, and then decided to start throwing right hands in the seventh. Um, you know, like Valine, I think what Parker needs to do is stay close, stay competitive, stay upright, stay involved. If you can do that, then the more likely he is to be able to find what he needs to win. Against that, yes, there's an enormous amount of money in this fight card, and there's going to be an enormous amount of money put into Joshua against Wilder. Saudi Arabia is just throwing money at fights, as we've talked about, and they there's not going to be a lot of enthusiasm for Parker against Valine taking the place of uh, of Joshua against Wilder. So. While I can picture them making it difficult for those guys to win, given all of those factors, I still think the likelier scenario is that Joshua and Wilder emerge victorious here. Yeah, you know, I've been itching from the moment these fights were announced to bet on Valin. Um, He's as high as plus 320. I want to believe he can pull this off. Yeah. He's just, he's so solid and steady and AJ is not really those things. Um, AJ is, of course, much more physically gifted and, and Valin doesn't have the skill set or weaponry of, of Usyk or, or even of Andy Ruiz, I don't think. So, look, it's one of those things where if Valin fights like he's capable of and Joshua is having a little crisis of confidence, as he often does, the upset potential is there and, and plus 320 would probably be a good price but this Joshua Wilder talk makes me that little mm. bit more nervous about betting on Valine. There's a lot of money riding on AJ winning. Um, the where I really disagree with you is that I, for me, he's the only one the promoters should be nervous okay. about. I can't really see a path to victory for Joe Parker. I think there's a path to him boxing his way to a lead after a few rounds, but he will get KO'd by Wilder before too long. And and in fact, I'd predict something like a KO too. I, I think it's... Oh, more, really? Okay. Yeah, I think it's more likely than not that Deontay just blasts him out of there quickly as he does to so many guys. But, you know, AJ, he's more vulnerable than Wilder and he's up against a more prime opponent. He's the one promoter should be a bit concerned about. And that makes me concerned that Valine could get screwed on the scorecards could be the victim of a quick trigger stoppage could get points taken away for no good reason while aj is allowed to hold excessively or something i'm sorry to go like conspiracy theorist before the opening bell is even rung but kind of have to um i'd say there's like maybe like a 25 percent chance valine finds a way to win i'd put joe parker's chances around five percent um and 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 by the way if aj looks great and scores a legit ko of valine you have my assurance that I will not backtrack and say Valine was never any good. Right. If if AJ looks great and wins legitimately, that's an excellent win for Joshua. That's that's his best win in a few years. I feel like you and I were on the Otto Valine really isn't bad mm -hmm. train much before everybody else because of all the times we prepped for his fights on Showtime. <laughs> yes, it kept falling through. We like prepped for him three times. Yes, before we actually got to see him, and for everybody else when he fought Fury, they're like. Who's this guy out of Berlin? This should be easy. And we're like, well, maybe 
maybe not necessarily. So. Yep, exactly. We, we, know. we, we know. Yes, we were ahead of the curve on that one. And now that we've said that, Again. Anthony Joshua knocks him out in one round. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, here's what's on the undercard on Saturday. Dimitri Bivol against Lyndon Arthur for a light heavyweight belt. Jai Apataya defending the lineal cruiserweight title against Ellis Zorro. And four more heavyweight bouts. Philip Hergovic against Mark Demori. Daniel Dubois against Jarrell Miller. Arslan Beck Mahmudov against Agit Kabayel and Frank Sanchez against Junior Farr. Eric, any big picture comments on the stackedness of this card and what fights or fighters particularly interest you? Yeah, big picture. This is great. Um, not every fight is great, but the sum total of it all, boxing fans are getting their money's worth, uh, especially at the reduced pay-per-view price. Look, uh, the Saudi regime is, is awful. It is scary to have them taking over our sport the way they are. But fans are absolutely benefiting. I mean, we could have Fury Usyk and Wilder Joshua early in 2024 because of the Saudi money. Uh, it's just the reality that that money is lifting the sport. And um, this is one hell of a deep card. I can't remember anything quite like this in a while. You'd have to go back 20 years to a card I attended at Boardwalk Hall, a Don King card that had eight alphabet title fights. Um, no singular great fight. No obvious main event. It was a little like this, quantity over quality for the most part. But that one had Hopkins Joppy, Ruiz Rockman, Spinks Mayorga, and various lesser stars and, and lesser fights for assorted belts. That's the last card I can recall that could go eight fights deep like this one Saturday. Obviously, Bivol and Opataya are the best fighters on the undercard. I mean, Bivol is the best fighter on the card, period, by a wide margin. But um, I doubt either of those two will be challenged, particularly. These look on paper like showcase fights. Same for Hergovic. I mean, Mark DeMori, he has a nice-looking record, but he was KO'd in one round by David Hay in 2016. David Hay was wow. was not still any good in 2016. Um, the two fights that look close on paper are Mahmoudov Kabayel and... I hate to say it, Dubois Miller. Um, I, I hate that Big Baby Miller is getting this fight, but he he certainly has a chance to win it. Um, that fight could possibly even steal the show. Um, how, how about you? Are there one or two fights or fighters that intrigue you here? Unsurprisingly, similar notes here. Um, I'm I'm happy to see Dimitri Bivol again. It's, it's ridiculous that we haven't seen him since the Gilberto Ramirez fight. Um, I'm not expecting this to be a competitive contest. I don't think uh, uh, Arthur's in his league anyway, and he looked like he could barely walk at the announcement press conference. Um, yep, same notes about Dubois Miller. I'm intrigued by it, even as I hate myself for feeling that way about it. That's exactly what I wrote. And look, I've always liked Jarrell Miller on a, on a personal level, but let's be honest, it's questionable whether we should be fighting at all, let alone getting this kind of opportunity. But taking that aside, looking at it strictly from a fight, you have to wonder about Dubois' level of confidence after losing to Joyce and now Usyk. And boy, Big Baby is someone who can take whatever confidence you have and just destroy it and take it away from you, um, yeah. even in the build-up to the fight, let alone in the fight itself. So, ah, remember, it's only a few years ago when we were so excited about Daniel Dubois' path to the top of the heavyweight division, and now... I would not be surprised to see Big Baby Miller knock him out, I must yeah, say. Same. All right, so that is all the fights to preview. Uh, let's get to the rest of the outside the ring news quickly. Um, nothing major here. Uh, Dan Raphael reports that 
uh, top rank is finalizing Teofimo Lopez, Jermaine Ortiz for February 8th in Vegas. Uh, that's the Thursday before the Vegas Super Bowl. Uh, and Dan noted that according to top rank, Teofimo wanted Jose Ramirez, but Ramirez turned it down. A March 2nd ESPN Plus card at Turning Stone Casino in upstate New York has been announced, headlined by a pair of featherweight fights, Luis Alberto Lopez versus Raya Abe and Otabek Kolmatov versus Raymond Ford. On January 13th, on what would have been Joe Frazier's 80th birthday, Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City will play host to a boxing card honoring Smoke and Joe, co-promoted by Joe Frazier Jr.'s promotional company and Danny Garcia's promotional company. And last item, while all these cards are coming together for early in 2024, one fight we previously reported on has fallen apart. The deal for Gabriela Fondora to take on Marlon Esparza has reportedly come apart over money. Uh, Kieran, anything to say about any of this? Not really, except to say that I don't mind Lopez against Ortiz at all. Um, we said going into his challenge of Vasily Lomachenko that Ortiz is a decent fighter. Yeah. Uh, and he proved that in a in a gallant losing effort. Uh, and look, he's going to be an underdog to Tiafimo, and he should be, and I fully expect Tiafimo to win this fight, but I'd be shocked if Tiafimo just blew him away. Jermaine Ortiz is a pretty darn decent fighter. Um, and my other thought was, um, Danny Garcia is a promoter now? When did that happen? Come on, every every fighter has a pro- promotional company. It is true, isn't it? But yeah. mostly I just thought they were just shells for their own fights. Uh, right. just the, I hadn't heard of him actually promoting other people's fights. I think it's great, by the way, that there's a Joe Frazier tribute card uh, in Atlantic City. But yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. the things you, I've learned so many things in this podcast today. <laughs> it's a shame our listeners have learned nothing. But as long as we're learning. <laughs> what do they expect? Well, the, the, they should have learned by now to expect to learn nothing. And if they still haven't learned that, then, well, that's on them. <laughs> by, 299 episodes Exactly. In. Exactly. It shouldn't take you this long to figure it out. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. Here we go with the last top five countdown we'll do, at least on this version of the podcast, maybe ever. Um, the fight game, I'm confident that's going to continue on elsewhere. Um, top five, we'll see. Um kind of feel like I should drop in taps or a sad trombone or something. Um, this, <laughs> this is the final top five countdown, and it's the top five boxers ever to ply their trade on Showtime's airwaves. And I have uh, several preamble thoughts before I start, as I often do. Um, first, I said this last week when you assigned it, but it's basically the top five fighters who were active during the Showtime era yeah. 1986 to present. Almost everyone to consider fought at least once on Showtime. The only exception is Roy Jones. And to give you an idea of how great the fighters on this list are, Roy would not be a clear-cut inclusion for the top five. Yeah. Um, Oscar De La Hoya also never fought on Showtime, but he'd be an honorable mention at best. I wouldn't have to even give serious thought to putting him in the top five. Like, this list, it's the best of the best all-time greats there are tons of slam dunk first ballot hall of famers who don't even warrant consideration for honorable mention like uh the aforementioned joe calzaghi andre ward great fighters i'm not sure either one is in the top 20 certainly neither one merits a thought for top five um my other note i could have made this complicated and tried to weigh in how often they fought on showtime like if someone Mm. fought one time on showtime I could have come up with some calculation factoring in the greatness and the frequency that might have elevated, say, an Evander Holyfield who fought like 15 times or so on Showtime. But I kept it simple. If you fought on Showtime one time, that's as good as 15 times. It's it's ranking the best fighters as long as they fought on Showtime at least once. Um, okay. 
I think that's all of my preambling and rambling. Are you ready for my list? I am, and I'm not quite sure how to, I think, rather than coming at, and tell me how you think about this, I was thinking that rather than me going, oh, that's a good choice, I had him at number seven or whatever, is I might just do the, hmm, ha, and then I came up with a list of about 15 Mm-hmm. that I could put in just about any order, almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I could just, once we're done with your list, I could kind of go through my 15 very swiftly in reverse order as it stands at the moment and not in 10 minutes when I'll change it again. <laughs> um, I suppose that's fine. The only problem is if you don't interrupt to say a little something between my choices, that's going to be a lot of my voice without interruption, and I, I hate to torture Oh, there'll be, like be hums and haws and comments. It's okay, just, okay, so you'll, you just won't say exactly where you had the guy necessarily on yeah. your list or whatever. Okay, that's fair. That's good. But definitely say a little something so that the, the listeners are given a break from my uh, nasally tones with your more <laughs> more 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 elegant uh, sem, semi-British voice. Uh, that nasally tones that a person should want to spend some money on Substack to continue oh, good point. hearing yes. for a couple yes. of Months. Absolutely. Right. Yes. The the good kind of nasally. Absolutely. Yes. The best. Yes. All right. Here we go. At number five, I have Rod Salka. Now, <laughs> had to throw one of those in there. At number five, I have, and, and, and I thought there was, for me, there was a somewhat clear top seven in some mm-hmm. impossible to determine order. Uh, so this fighter is at number five in a tough decision over two others who didn't make the list. But at number five, I have Manny Pacquiao, uh, the man who headlined a pay-per-view against Adrian Broner to kick off our time at Showtime. Um, he didn't fight on Showtime much. There was the dreary Mosley fight and, and then a few toward the end. But the resume, it's remarkable. His quality of opposition from beginning to end of his career is quite possibly the best of anyone in my lifetime. He did lose enough of those fights, though mostly post-prime, but still enough losses on his 62-8-2 and record to prevent me from putting him higher than this, though you certainly could. He's probably somewhere between number three and number seven. For me, he's number five. The man who made Fred Sternberg a Hall of Famer, uh, or maybe it's the other way around. Uh, Number five, Manny Pacquiao. Okay, so I'm immediately going to contradict everything I just said and say that I also have him at number five. So, (laughs) All right, well, then that makes it official. He is anywhere but number five on any any quality list. (laughs) That's right. Uh, And I thought, just to say as a general point already as you said he could be like anywhere from three to seven it already speaks to the difficulty of coming up with this list and you just have to figure ah screw it and and just come up with the best that you can uh i think five feels about right in terms of career accomplishments as much as anything everything that he did in his career as well as the way he fought and, and his ability all of that he he deserves to be right up there yeah well, I, as difficult as it is to figure out this list in as many different orders as as you could have, the fact that we'd agreed on number five, I'm a little nervous that there's a slight chance we'll have the exact same top five. I doubt it. Sure I doubt not. it. I doubt but, it. But okay. it's not impossible. Yeah. Um. I I think if we're gonna have if if I'm gonna have someone in my list who's possibly not gonna crack yours, it's here at number four. My number four is a man who only fought on Showtime once when he was squaring off against a Showtime stalwart for the pound-for-pound title, and he clearly won that fight and the pound-for-pound throne, even if the judges only gave him a draw. I'm talking about the late, great Purnell Sweet Pea Whitaker. Um, See what I mean about possibly leaving Roy Jones off even if he'd fought on Showtime? Like, I consider Whitaker, not Roy, the fighter of the 90s. Uh, Would I put Roy ahead of Purnell or Manny? 
kind of doubt it. Uh, but please, please don't tell Roy that the next time we see him. <laughs> um, anyway, probably the best defensive fighter of the Showtime era, Pernell Whitaker, with one possible exception, who, spoiler, we'll be discussing soon. Uh, maybe the best pure boxer of the Showtime era. He fought them all, and he, for the most part, dominated them all. Just struggled a bit with winning over the judges sometimes. But Pernell Whitaker, four-division title holder, one of the best ever to do it, arguably should have remained undefeated until his second-to-last fight. He's my number four, and I apologize to Max Kellerman for not finding a way to rank him higher. Yeah, and again, another example of how how difficult it is to rank these guys who are not just some of these guys are not just hall of famers they're all-time greats and mm-hmm. and sweep is absolutely one of them and again blowing away all my promises earlier i'm going to tell you now i had him at six okay and i struggled to decide <laughs> where it should be and i almost thought that's too low yeah. um but the the other guys and the in this list that i'm sure you're going to come to I, I wouldn't be surprised if our top three is very similar now yeah could be uh, Really freaking good fighters. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> really, really good fighters. So yeah, no, yeah. these are these are the the very best fighters of the last forty years, basically, that are cracking the top five here. So yeah. Uh, all right, at number three, no, he is not TBE, but he's in the conversation. Uh, the number three fighter, I am more than happy to concede of the last thirty-seven years, and the man who was instrumental in pushing Showtime past HBO to the number one spot among boxing networks. Floyd Money Mayweather. Criticism of his quality of opposition are a bit overblown, but uh, some criticism is still warranted relative to some of the other all-timers on this list. But there is no denying he beat every single opponent he fought. He had the most successful boxing career ever in terms of making money and not taking physical punishment. He directly defeated the number five guy on my list, even if it happened a few years later than would have been ideal competitively. Um, And now that Diego Corrales and Ricky Hatton are going into the Hall of Fame, Mm. he did defeat seven Hall of Famers, and it will be at least nine when Manny Pacquiao and Canelo Alvarez go in. There are two fighters who I think were greater, but number three ain't bad. And if I was weighing greatness plus making numerous Showtime appearances and influencing how we remember Showtime boxing, Floyd Mayweather would probably be number one. Yeah, now I'm actually really concerned that we're going to have um, four of our five fighters in the exact same fighters in the exact same positions because I yeah. just have Floyd at three too. Okay, uh, for all the reasons you argued, and actually that's I hadn't quite appreciated how many other Hall of Famers he beat. He beat. That is that is impressive by any era. That is that is a criterion, even if one says, well, maybe too many people get into the Hall of Fame a year and so right. on and so forth. That's a criterion that we use to judge boxers from previous eras as well. Um, it's an objective criterion to judge them by. And very few of those guys who are in the Hall of Fame troubled Floyd, even in the ring, uh, which is which is another thing. So, yeah, I, I think he I think he totally deserves it for to be on that list for all those reasons. And I'm actually quite three. He was actually one person I was actually pretty comfortable with where I put him, Mm -hmm. given the two that I have ahead of him. Um, So uh, it's, it's, we know it's not Rod Salka, so it's Danny Garcia (laughs) and Keith Thurman. I mean, it's also good guesses. Also, uh, you know, strong contenders, but um, no, no, I I am pretty sure we have the same top two and probably in the same order. I'm very glad we disagreed on number four, Um, but at number two, 
I have the fighter from the previous generation to whom Floyd is and was most often compared. And I've maintained all along that this guy would have beaten Floyd head to head. He didn't have the longevity, but he did have the quality of opposition and a huge edge in quality of his defining wins. I'm, of course, talking about Sugar Ray Leonard, generally considered the defining fighter of the 1980s, the king, ultimately, among the four kings. What can you say? He had it all. The knocks are health, inactivity, and being on the right end of a couple of key close decisions. But so was Floyd. You know, his first fight with Jose Luis Castillo was just as close and debatable as Leonard Hagler, in my view. Anyway, Ray Leonard only fought on Showtime once. It was not his most glorious fight. In fact, it was arguably his least glorious fight, the loss to Terry Norris. But he fought on Showtime. His greatness is beyond dispute. I put him at number two. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you, by the way. I, I the if if Ray obviously it's a it's a purely hypothetical world, but Ray against Floyd would have had to have been at welterweight. And it's ju- I just don't think that's difficult to figure out who wins that fight at welterweight. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I agree with you. I think Ray would have had all the advantages going into that fight. I also had him at number two. I'm pretty sure I know who your number one is. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have very, very little to say other than that this is proving to be a little bit less dramatic than I'd anticipated, right. but there we go. Okay. Well, my number one is uh, someone you spent a little time with not too yep. long ago, Kieran. Another one of the four kings, uh, Roberto Duran, was the least successful of the four kings in fights against the other kings, but that was owed in part to him being older and past his prime for most of those fights and smaller as well, always the little guy moving up to face Duran, Hearns, and Hagler. But when you combine his role in the four kings rivalry with his dominance in the 1970s as the lightweight champ, Duran was probably the greatest boxer of the last 50 years. He's the only fighter active between 1986 and today whose name comes up regularly when modern historians are ranking the top five or top 10 fighters pound for pound all time. Uh, Floyd's name comes up sometimes. So does Leonard. So does Pacquiao's occasionally. But Duran, he's on pretty much any top 10 pound for pound all time and some top fives. Um, Look, I'll acknowledge that there are cases to be made for anyone in this top five, anyone in my top seven, really, the last two of which I haven't revealed yet. But I feel most comfortable telling you that Duran, even if his prime wasn't on Showtime, even if it was just a couple of fights in the 80s and his sad defeat at the hands of William Joppy in his final title try at age 47, I feel very comfortable telling you that Duran is the greatest boxer ever to fight on Showtime. It's not an inarguable choice, not by a long shot, but it's the best choice with apologies to any listeners who are card carrying members of the money team. I think there's a really strong case to be made that he is in that top five pound for pound of all time. Um, I, he'd be in mine and that's an amazing achievement. Uh, Folks have been boxing in the way that we understand it for around a century or so now. There have been a, it's literally unknowable how many people have fought professionally in that time. It's obviously in the multiples of thousands. And he's one of the top five ever to do it. I think objectively, like you said, certainly not outside the top 10. Um, and yeah, what do you think about the, that he was winning his first title in, was it 71? He beat Buchanan. That sounds uh, right. 71 or 72. Yeah. Yeah. And then still going 
and you know he beat poor Davy Moore in what thirteen years later, eighty four right. or something like that. Right. Beat Iran Barkley in eighty nine, I think. Nine, yeah, yeah, amazing, astonishing career to be able yeah. to be doing all of those things. I mean, just a remarkably, remarkably good boxer, and he did after that while freaking drinking and whoring. <laughs> so, I mean, just just amazing, a remarkable talent. So, yeah, also my number one. So, yeah, we agreed on one, two, three, and five. I have zero problems with your number four. Okay. And I assume I, I, that I will have zero problems with your number four and probably is one of the two names I'm about to say, okay. although not necessarily, but my two honorable mentions who got some top five consideration are the guy who started it all on Showtime Boxing, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and the defining non-heavyweight Showtime fighter before Floyd came along, Julio Cesar Chavez. Is one of the two of them your number four? Yeah, and that is, in fact, my top seven. Um, okay. Then is yours. I, I swapped Marvin and Sweet Pea. Okay, and I gotcha. Had, and I had Chavez at seven. And okay. So, yeah. That's, I actually, you know, it's funny. I actually feel kind of good about the fact that we agree on that top seven, even though, I, okay, I took a little bit of the drama away. But when I was looking at this list with so many names on it, Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out how to order it, I was like, oh, gosh, there's an entirely possible that I'm going to forget <laughs> a really significant name here and look really dumb. I'm kind of glad that we've come with those names. And that does suggest that, yeah, outside of Roy, who would have been in the top seven, I think. I don't think. Or, or at least top eight, eight would have would have fit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, those were the those have been like the defining fighters of the last Crikey, almost 40 years or so now. So Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I felt there was like a clear drop off from those guys to the rest of that. But these are still guys that it pains me to leave out. Um, yeah. But they, they just it was obvious from the start. They were never making my top five. But I'll just list a bunch of names here. Bernard Hopkins, Ricardo Lopez, uh, the great heavyweights of the era. Holyfield, who I mentioned, uh, George Foreman, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson. They all fought at least once on Showtime. Then there's Juan Manuel Marquez, Felix Trinidad, Terrence Crawford, Canelo Alvarez, Azuma Nelson, Tommy Hearns. The list goes on and on. I got to cut it off somewhere. Um, By my count, among modern category Hall of Fame inductees, and noting that there are more to come in the years ahead, of course, but current inductees, by my count, 43 fought on Showtime. And they just, you know, they couldn't all make the cut to get a mention here. Those are the ones who stood out. Anyone else I didn't mention who you feel uh, deserves a shout out? Uh, no, I think. Did you mention Joe Calzaghi? I think he deserves a mention. I didn't. I mentioned somewhere. him in my sort of preamble of like great fighters who I didn't even really consider uh, mentioning. But, but if yeah. you want to tell me he he cracks the top twenty, sure, I could see that. He 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 got into my top twenty. Um, Tommy Hearns gets into my top twenty. Uh, Bernard Hopkins, like you said, Terence Crawford, right. uh, Canelo, Felix Trinidad. Mike Tyson, Tyson Fury, Evander Holyfield, Andre Ward. I didn't. I yeah, didn't say I, Tyson Fury. That's uh, that's one name that you just mentioned that I didn't. But I, I probably would have said him if we'd done this list a couple months ago. But then the fight left such a bad <laughs> yeah. taste in my mouth that I'm I'm not ready yep. to put him on this pedestal at the moment. Yeah, and then we've got guys like Carl Froch, Tim Bradley, very mm-hmm. very good fighters, Hall yeah. of Famers who aren't really sniffing this list. No, no, um, which is. I haven't mentioned my boy Miguel. Uh, right, right. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's astonishing. And I think we're going to just keep forgetting the people who have even fought on Showtime. And and I think it's not even sometimes that I forgot that they fought on Showtime. I didn't actually know that Lennox or George had fought on, on Showtime, so I didn't include them. But 
just even thinking about the really great fighters of the last 40 years, there's inevitably like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot so-and-so. So, um, yeah, for what it's worth, that's uh, not a bad list. Um, I have this document that I, that I dug up that I think Steve Farhood must have sent us when we first started working for Showtime of like every mm. fight up through 2018 or so. It listed every single fight card. And I too was a little surprised to see George Foreman's name and Lennox Lewis's name. I think Foreman fought a couple of his very early comeback fights on Showtime. And Lennox had like one fight in like 92, 91, 92 or something on an undercard. I forget which one exactly. But so, yeah, they, you don't think of them as Showtime fighters, but they did pass through as did pretty much with the exception of Roy and Oscar, every significant fighter of the last 37 years. Oh yeah, and did either of us mention Costa Zoo, who probably deserves at least some kind of a mention? Right, there? he's another. He's re, yeah, so he's another one in that name down, and I'm pretty sure I didn't mention him. No, nope, he hasn't Brooks. been mentioned. I mean, all good fighters. Yeah, all yeah. good fighters. Yeah, great fight. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, this was an impossible task to uh, to only mention yeah. <laughs> five or so guys, but uh, I think. And now I feel bad. We've gone out of our way to mention so many that now there's definitely one or two that are on par with some of those other guys yes. that we're failing to mention. But yeah. uh, alas, uh, we, should, we should probably wrap this up before anybody sh- uh, takes an issue with anything else we don't say then. We should. Yes. But uh, but before you uh, sign off for the podcast here, Karen, I just want to repeat our new Substack address one more time. It is boxing with Raskin Mulvaney Everyone enter your email address for free. So we can keep you informed and keep you receiving episodes of the pod when the new year begins. And that will do it for the second to last episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back one last time. Uh, We think it'll probably drop the day after Christmas. Who knows? We'll see. We have what we consider to be the perfect farewell interview guest. And we will have our year end awards. Until then, thanks as always for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.